0: Welcome back to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast. I'm Dr. Michaela Benson, a reader in sociology at Goldsmiths University of London and the research lead for a UK and a Changing Europe funded project that's all about what Brexit means for British citizens living in the EU 27. I wanted to start by talking about our rather brief and unplanned hiatus. We've been podcasting consistently since May 2017 and and haven't really taken a break until now. And I thought it was a good moment to recharge my batteries and also to reflect a little on the direction of the podcast. On reflection, we decided as a team that it would be a good moment for us to come together and actually record a series of podcasts, a series of episodes That reflected on some of the key issues and challenges that we've been facing through the project. Over the coming weeks and months, you'll be hearing me in conversation with the rest of the team, with Karen O'Reilly, Catherine Collins, and Chantal Lewis. But we thought it would be a good idea to kick off with an episode that's all about freedom of movement and what this means to the people that we have been doing research with. We'll shortly be releasing a report on this topic, but we thought it was a good moment to provide you with a little flavour of what's to come. Today, I wanted to ask Karen and Katie to come and talk to me specifically about the Freedom of Movement report that they have written and the themes that were emerging through those conversations that we've been having with the citizens panel, particularly about what freedom of movement means to them. But I wanted to start by providing just a little bit of an introduction on the state of play in respect to continuing freedom of movement for British citizens already resident in the EU 27 and also the loss of freedom of movement for British citizens who have not already exercised that right. I think it's really important to point out that what Brexit means in legal terms is that as of next March, all British citizens will be losing their EU citizenship and it's their EU citizenship that has given them access to freedom of movement, which is the right to live and work in another European Union country. For British people who already live in the EU 27, this has potentially some profound legal implications because at the moment it is unclear whether they will have access to continuing freedom of movement within the European Union. And you might ask yourself, well, why is that important? That is important precisely because there are some people whose lives have been built on being able to provide services across borders, or who have ambitions for living in other parts of Europe, whose working lives, family relationships rest upon those. This is an element of the withdrawal bill that hasn't yet been agreed, um, because it's all tied up with the trade negotiations. But beyond that legal status, there are questions about what freedom of movement actually means to people and how it's been experienced. And I wanted to ask Karen particularly to reflect back on some past writing that she's done about British people in Spain and how they had experienced freedom of
1: movement. So I'm going back to my research that started in 92, 93. And then um, obviously, as I've said before, I've I've been continuing doing research with British in Spain um, 10 years later, 2003, 2004. Um, and, And again, even more recently. So bear in mind, you know, I've been kind of following British people living in Spain for over 25 years now. And those early interviews I had with people and conversations way back in the 1990s, they were very celebratory about freedom of movement. And what they took from that was the word freedom. And they would often say, well, we're free We're free. It's free here. It's more free. We have more freedoms and not much about what that actually meant in practice in terms of legal rights. It was more that it meant that they could choose where they lived and live there as long as they wanted to. And they would often take that as meaning that it meant that they didn't have to think too much about the bureaucracy around that, I have to be honest. Not, Not everyone, of course, but some people. As time went by, it became more and more apparent that that freedom wasn't as free as the word sounds or the word suggests. Just to backtrack, freedom of movement is one of the four fundamental freedoms of the European Union, along together with goods, services and capital. And actually was inscribed into the European Union to start with in order to enable goods, capital, services and labour workers to move around. And then the movement of um, family members to join workers was added. And then the movement of retired people, young people seeking work and things like that was all added. And so you can see why people in the early nineties saw that and and took that literally as a freedom, you know, that they didn't think too much about what the restrictions might be. As I say, as time went by, um, how that's interpreted depends on where you're actually living in which member state. So I was doing my research in Spain, for example, and there were still regulations around what, car you were allowed to drive, how long you were allowed to drive on foreign number plates, for example, at that time needing to translate your driving licence to a Spanish driving licence. All these things have changed a lot over the years. But the extent to which you needed to register with a local authority or not register with a local authority, and those regulations have continued to change in that 25-year period across different states it might be worth just pointing out that we do in the UK, for example, have a right to ask people to register when they come to the UK, EU migrants to the UK, but we choose not to. Um, other places do ask for registration, some don't. What happened as a result of that, that I started to notice, was that people had taken this freedom so freely as a notion and as a right, and also that the regulations were changing so quickly and were so complicated and always not always apparent that what you would have sometimes were people who slipped through the net. And so that where we're at now just looking at Spain only but we'll talk about other countries as well as time goes on is that there are people who have been resident in Spain for any number of years i mean i know people who've been there for 30 40 years but you know maybe fewer years who have never registered on any document anywhere Because no one has enforced that, no one has required that of them, and they have been able to live there. So if the right to remain is dependent on them needing to prove where they live, this is going to be a problem for quite a lot of people because they may be going to have to dig out Bank accounts or um, service bills or something to show that they live there. But, you know, more than that, one of the things I talked about in a paper I wrote in 2007 about this was that because the rules and regulations were so complicated, that very often, rather than confront them, they would kind of avoid dealing with it and sort of avoid registering or avoid making themselves legal. Because actually, People weren't too worried about it and no one was enforcing it. And there was a, a very clear sense of being very relaxed.
0: Do you, think, do you think that part of that was to do with the fact that they couldn't see what it would mean for
1: their lives to be registered? There wouldn't be a noticeable difference. I think they didn't need to. No one was asking it of them. And I think we also looked at, need to look at this from the Spanish point of view. The Spanish weren't too worried either because they had probably also taken free movement of something they didn't particularly yeah. need to worry about. So there were Europeans living there, but you know they they were spending much more time thinking about other migrants that they needed to register and needed to to help and provide services for. Though there, there are problems around this, but that's just the way it was dealt with then.
0: I think that's drawn out some really important points about the origins of freedom of movement, how it's related to the movement of labour, of workers. So it's drawn, inherently privileges the economically active, for example. I know that retirees are a little bit of an exception to that. But the other thing that I think you've clearly illustrated is the extent to which freedom of movement was the freedom to move to another state and settle in that state. It's about settlement not about continued movement perhaps or continuous mobility around the European Union. There, so I think that's built yeah, into it. Yeah, there's a, a bit. lot of
1: ambiguity around that in many of the documents. If you if you look on European Union European Commission websites um to try to get to understand how freedom of movement is understood, it's often revealed that people are thinking about labor migrants and workers more than they are as if they didn't really think through what this might mean in terms of people moving and settling and also, as you say, moving moving on. I mean, I've met people who left Spain and then went and lived in Bulgaria or France or whatever, as we've seen in the project now, people who are working across borders. It's almost as if those various different, very flexible movements and settlements weren't imagined in this, almost as if it's founded on the notion of labour movement.
0: Yeah, so there's an inherent... The way that it's been built around that, there's an inherent bias towards it. I wanted to bring Katie in now to talk a little bit about freedom of movement in what it means to the people that you've been talking to through the citizens panel.
2: Yeah, it seems more than any other of the, um, the questions that we've put to the panel to have generated quite a huge diversity of different responses and I think it's useful to divide up as well the, um, I suppose, what you might call the practical considerations to do with with freedom of movement that people have, have brought to our attention, but also the concept of freedom and the concept of loss as well. So talking about the practicalities first, we have had quite a few Leave voters or people who sympathize with that uh, position, contributing to this question. That's really interesting. Yeah, well, and their points of view have been very much that they were able to move country before freedom of movement came along. They just had to comply with the regulations of that time, which they did, so it was fine. And the same will be true after Brexit and Provided people are legal, in inverted commas, you know, that people have registered correctly and they can prove whatever needs to be proved, then they will be fine then as well. And with the caveat, as ever, that we just don't know until the negotiations are finished. I think a lot of the stories that people have told about how they've used freedom of movement, that probably is the case. You know, there'll be more bureaucracy for them, more paperwork, possibly more expense. But for some people, that's not the case. And there are examples and things that I've noted down here that you alluded to, Mikla, in the introduction. So people who live in one country for various reasons, but need to go across borders in order to keep their livelihood. People whose children want to study in different EU countries from the country that they currently live in, but who are British, so may potentially lose the ability to do that either Britain or the country where they're in will be their choice, not the full European option. And a number of stories of people whose family, uh, extended family are distributed across the EU27 and they're wondering what's going to happen to their elderly relatives if they start to need more care? What if they can't move to that country? What if their relative can't move to where they are? So there are a number of complex situations where it's not, going to be as simple as just complying with new rules i fear and so do the people more importantly so do they they fear that too just
1: to go back to what you were saying at the beginning there about people could move before and so presumably this is i hear this a lot as well well we've always been able to move before so we'll be able to move in future they we'll just have to adhere to the rules of course the problem is one those people who have already moved and proving that they have settled there and how long they've been there but two will the systems be in place at the moment there is very little evidence that any of these 27 countries are putting much in place in the way of systems to enable people to register if they move after brexit and it it might be worth saying that when i the very first time i went to spain Um, It was before it was uh, 1992. The Maastricht Treaty was in 1992. So we did officially have free movement, but the systems weren't in place. We had to register and I had to go to the police station seven times before I'd got my papers in place. I was only there for 15 months. I was getting towards the end of being there by the time I was officially legal. I had to prove I had enough money to live on. I had to prove that I could keep my husband and my children, had enough money to provide for them. We had to prove we had health insurance. Now, at that time, those systems were in place. But since freedom of movement, they are no longer in place because the police and the local authorities have had to concern themselves less with that because there have been more migrants and that would have been a phenomenal amount to manage. But also because they've got other things that they need to deal with so that Bumped down. So just we just don't have the confidence, I think, to imagine what this is going to look like in terms of systems being in place.
3: Well,
0: I'd, so I think there's a, just a point of clarification around that um, is that one of the issues that's outstanding and the reason that things haven't been put in place yet is because it is not entirely clear whether British citizens who live or move to the EU 27 will be considered as on similar terms to the way they are now. So through provisions that have been set in place to provide for EU migrants and EEA migrants, or whether they will become third country nationals, there are often two parallel systems operating for dealing with different migrant populations, which kind of suggests that there are systems in place, but it's just not clear which system actually will be adopted. And that's one of the outstanding issues Uh, So people have been advised, if anyone's interested in this, (laughs) people are being advised on a national level in terms of kind of interim measures that they can take, which might include going out in the cases of somewhere like France or Spain, where there's no compulsory registration. In France, there is no registration um, at all. Um, They're being advised to go out and seek ways of getting permits, residence permits for them to uh, to live there as a way of demonstrating lawful residence. But I think that it would be good to talk a little more about this idea of freedom and the idea of, I think, loss of freedom that's come across in some of those discussions with the citizens' panellists. Uh, yeah,
2: well, I think we've talked quite a lot about the sort of technicalities of what exactly is freedom of movement in a legal sense and what does it mean to have to register and be legal somewhere But a lot of the responses that we had on the citizens panel were concerned with things like freedom of movement representing things like openness and tolerance to new cultures and interest in other people and interest in new experiences and opportunities to have new experiences and to change your life. Quite a few people said that without freedom of movement, without that opportunity or that inspiration, I suppose, to go and try something new in a new place, they would never be where they were now, having the life that, that they were happy with. So it means something to people that's more than just the the paperwork, you know, the legal rights. And they, they also
1: have. talk about it saying something about themselves, don't they, as, as if... By being part of a country that embraces free movement, I'm saying I'm part of a country that embraces openness and multiculturalism. And it's almost as if they feel that they haven't just lost that right, but they've lost a sense of who they are. That's something that I've, I felt coming through. I had
3: someone say to me that a vote against freedom of movement felt like a vote against her and her husband's marriage to her it felt like people were actively voting against what they had achieved like as in they met because of freedom of movement because her husband is french and she's british and they would not they they said that they wouldn't have met had it not been for freedom of movement so she felt that because the leave campaign was really fueled on that argument against freedom of movement that that was attacking her relationship and that really upset her because Mm -hmm. of that
0: I think that demonstrates how profoundly felt the kind of threat to freedom of movement is for people. And I think that because I came across very similar cases in in the research in France. And another thing that I came across was particularly in the case of some of the younger women that I was working with who um, live and work in Toulouse. They were explaining quite profoundly how freedom of movement was caught up in social mobility for them by which, you know, they came from particular types of backgrounds. They might be the first people in their family to go to university. And in consequence of that, they found themselves in positions where quite a lot of them studied languages, which was I thought was very, very interesting. Found themselves in positions where they were successful in getting internships or jobs in other European countries, perhaps thinking, oh, I'll be here for a couple of years or I'll be here for two or three years. Set themselves up and found opportunities that they felt in their terms they would not have had had they stayed back in the parts of the uk where where they had originally come from and i think that that's i think that we've got to understand freedom of movement within that context you know there's there's something that goes beyond the legal understanding of freedom of movement in the way that people are talking about it in those terms, I just wanted to kind of come back around to a kind of a closing question because I think that sometimes people think that freedom of movement is a privilege, and it, it definitely is a privilege. It's something that that we have all, I think, benefited from at some stage in our lives. Um, that ease with which you can cross borders, like Karen, I've I've lived in France for, you know, for a year while I was doing my PhD research, so I've I've had that benefit. My own father lives in France now, but. I think that there's also it's also important to recognize that that some people hadn't even thought about freedom of movement until now. And I just
3: wanted to to reflect on that a little bit. Um, yeah, it's just interesting how freedom of movement was so in the nicest sense, was so taken for granted even by the people who are actively exercising this freedom of movements that people are talking about in this project and how much of a shock it has been for our participants to find out how much freedom of movement is imperative to their their lives. Like that emphasis, what you were saying, Karen, on freedom. It's like the freedom to not have to reflect on on the freedom of movement as well. It's something which I feel like has come up in the research a lot. Mm, mm. Um, I've got a couple of families that I've spoken to that are actually move between European countries, move between mainland Europe because of work, because um, two of which are actually engineers, and they're like, we don't know what we're going to do. We need to be able to have that ease to get around mainland Europe. So what is going to
1: happen to our freedom of movement? Never had to think about it before now. yeah, I think that's really interesting because what I've also picked up on is people talking about the right for their children as yeah. well. So this idea that it's not just a right that somebody has implemented now or taken up now, but it's it's an idea of freedom. It's an idea for the future, but it's an idea for your children. And it's a whole sense of what they might do, where they might live, and, and their attitude to Europe, in a way, is, is being seen as being questioned.
0: I, feel, I mean, I feel that part of that is to do with the extent to which it's become habituated. And I think that's kind of what you're pointing to there, Chantal, is this kind of habituation. And I've been thinking about it for a while. You know, there are some people in this room who <laughs> who have never been anything but European with that freedom of movement. And so to suddenly have to think that actually, you know, that part of you is going to change. I, I don't know. I, I find I find it quite a difficult thing to think about. I can understand why people are concerned for their children and their grandchildren when they feel that they precisely have benefited from freedom of movement and that it's given them opportunities and given them other ways of seeing the world sometimes. I don't want to get too romantic about it, but you know, that definitely is something that comes across when we speak to people.
2: And I think there is a wider point as well that people hadn't had to think about freedom of movement but also that they haven't had to think about the fact that their rights that they've taken for granted might be removed from them. And I, I think I want to actually read something from one of the citizens panellists to really illustrate this point. She says, one would expect a loss of rights to be the result of some crime committed, some wrongdoing. I followed all the rules and as a result, I've lost the right to vote. I had no say in Brexit. And now the rug is to be pulled from under my feet my non-British husband retains these rights and this may result in tearing our family apart. That's a really poignant point to end on, Katie. Thank you very much.
0: I think that this is a theme that we're going to be returning to time and again through the project, through the writing over the coming months and years because it does really seem to be something that's that's hit a nerve with a lot of the people that we're speaking to precisely because of the deeper significance that it has within the context of who they are and how they've lived their lives. So thank you very much to everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast hosted by me, Dr. Michaela Benson, and produced by Emma Halton at Art of Podcast. The series is part of a UK and a Changing Europe funded research project Brexit Brits Abroad that's all about what Brexit means for UK citizens living in the EU 27. We're really keen to hear from you about the issues and concerns we address in the programme so please do get in touch with any thoughts, queries and questions. You can find our contact details on our webpage Brexit Brits Abroad or get in touch via social media. We're on Twitter at BrexPatsEU and we have a Facebook page Brexit Brits Abroad. Finally, in case you're not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on both iTunes and Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening and I'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode.